calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own and some of you reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another brand new spoiler review here from the Geek Buddies. We're back at it again with another for another Disney Plus show. This one connected to Lucasfilm, connected to Star Wars, the Book of Boba Fett, Episode One, dropped a couple of days ago. And look, the three of us. We know Star Wars and we know all about Star Wars, but there is someone on this show who is coming on to be our guest for the next few episodes of this series, or the, the whole run of the series here. She is a co-host of the Jedi Way. She's the co-host of Force Toast Pod and one of our favorite people to have on the show here, the great Laura Kelly. How are you, Laura? I'm amazing. Thank you so much for having me back, you guys. I'm excited to talk about this new show. Yeah, and you're uh, you, you're ready to jump into this thing. And Laura, you come into it from a different point of view because the three of us are old school, original trilogy people. You came in through a different, a more circuitous route to Star Wars. So very curious to hear what your thoughts are walking into a Boba Fett series for sure. And we're going to get into all of that as we break this thing down step by step. But let's introduce ourselves besides Laura Kelly. I am the outlaw John Roker, writer, producer, and host here on the Outlaw Nation of the Geek Buddies. Mike? 
I am Michael Vogel. I'm a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies. Shan? This is Shannon McClung. I'm an animation writer and a television actor where you may have seen me on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Silicon Valley, and the Goldbergs. There we go. And before we go any further, we want to give special love to the sponsor of the, sponsor of the Outlaw Nation and the Geek Buddies, Carbon Health. Carbon Health has been fantastic, sponsoring us since the mid of November into December, hopefully into 2022. We shall see. But they are a leading national health care provider with a mission to bring high-quality health care to everyone no, no, we're not sure if they have back to tanks, but there's a possibility in the future that Carbon Health may have some back to tanks. They offer urgent care, primary care, virtual care with 90 clinics in 14 states, and they offer virtual care in 24 states. Everyone deserves good health, even a Mandalorian who needs to cure scars on his face and lose a little bit of weight. Certainly, Tamora Morrison must have taken advantage of that Boba Fett did for sure. So we're going to break this whole thing down. Episode one, Stranger in a Strange Land, obviously a reference to Robert Heinlein's sci-fi masterpiece. And we're going to break this thing down uh, and talk about the storylines throughout the whole movie, uh, throughout the whole show rather, and uh, do some Easter eggs, do some spoilers. So if you haven't seen the episode, go see the episode. Come on back and join us. Let's start with you, Michael Vogel. Overall thoughts, episode one, The Book of Boba Fett. Uh, overall, I'm really encouraged and I'm excited. I don't think it necessarily started off with a bang. Mm. Uh, I don't think it was an episode that necessarily blew anybody completely out of the water, didn't have any uh, Grogu-level surprises, <laughs> but uh, I think that I think that it started strong. I think it was really interesting. I think it answered a few of the questions that we had about mm. what's going on with Boba. Uh, and to your point, uh, you know, the title, Stranger in a Strange Land, both uh, a reference to the Robert Heinlein sci-fi novel about about a guy who is raised by Martians and also from the book of Exodus and all about Moses, about somebody who uh, left their seat of power and then went off into the desert to uh, be with their people, just as mm -hmm. Boba sort of had a awesome place in Jabba's palace of circa Return of the Jedi and is now chilling with Tusken Raiders. So <laughs> I think that we're going to see a lot more of those kind of references. Uh, a lot of really cool Star Wars Easter eggs. My, my favorite thing that we'll get to is a a cameo and a reappearance of somebody that I never thought I'd see again, and I got real, real excited about it. Um, so yeah, I think there was plenty of Star Wars Easter eggs. I think uh, maybe not quite as uh, holy shit as the Mandalorian premiere, but I'm really, really excited to see where it goes next. Absolutely. Laura, as our guest here, what are your thoughts here? As we said, you've got a different route into Star Wars here. What was your feeling coming out of episode one of the Book of Boba Fett? So overall, I think I'm, I think satisfied, I think is a okay. good word. I'm, I'm satisfied and I'm remaining open-minded um, because there's really one question that I wanted answered. That was my only requirement in this first episode, which yeah. is how did he get out of the Sarlacc pit? And that box got checked and now we can comfortably move on in the story. Um, I, I think Michael's totally right. They're, they're laying the foundation for the mm -hmm. show in this first episode. Not every show can be the Mandalorian with a big baby Yoda reveal we're not going to get that in every single Star Wars show that we get. Um, but I think that this was a solid, albeit a agreed, slow start. Okay. All right. Shannon McClung, you're a fan of the original trilogy. You love this Boba Fett character. Years ago, you gave me a Boba Fett t-shirt for Christmas. Talk to me about your feelings about this book of Boba Fett. Was this everything you were hoping for and waiting for uh, after you finished episode one? You know, it was everything I wanted at the beginning. Um, okay. I did like that we got to see how we got out of the Sarlacc pit. I think watching someone inside the bowels of a Sarlacc is one of the most disturbing things that's ever been put on screen. Yeah. And listening, like the Foley as well, just this digestive, goopy, 
Um, and I think the, the combination of sand and Sarlacc entrails is, again, one of the most disgusting things I've seen in a while. Um, I love the setup of how um, what it's going to be like for him in Tatooine. Yeah. I think the episode for me around the halfway mark starts to started to under deliver a little bit. I thought the action was very static. Um, it just wasn't that interesting. I thought the star core that they did was filmed just kind of like, I was like, oh, this is, we've seen this. We've mm-hmm. seen, like, if you're going to do it, you mm-hmm. got you, you to gotta add a Star Wars layer to it. And for the most part, it just felt like, I was like, this is no different than some of the kids who taped themselves doing parkour. It's just mm-hmm. very stationary shots. Just wasn't that, just wasn't that interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, what I did do after the episode is I went back and watched uh, Boba, Fett, Boba Fett's first appearance in The Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. And watching how he appears there compared to um, where he ends up with the Tuscans, I was like, okay, that's really interesting. It was just mm. that stuff in the center that didn't really get me. And um, also that creature that, that sort of resembled a Thark from John Carter. Um, <laughs> I did not like the design of that creature. It looked very Harryhausen to me. Yes, it um, did. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I, and, and I don't think that, that did it any favors. I mean, I think it made okay. the action just kind of not, it's just not the coolest looking, but I love the I love the intrigue of the crime boss the crime boss angle and I'm hoping mm-hmm. they lean way more into that going forward. Yeah, I have to say I'm more in Mike's camp out of the out of everybody else who's just spoken here. I I really enjoyed the hell out of this thing. I had so much fun with it. This is the kind of Star Wars um, story, for lack of a better term, that I was looking for when they announced the Star Wars story movies. This whole idea of making it street level, make it a little more dirty, make it a little more of uh, it's less about going in space. No one's lighting up a lightsaber. There's no need to do any of that stuff. There's more of the dialogue heavy kind of approach, even though there's about nine minutes and 20 seconds when before an English word is spoken. <laughs> <laughs> the dialogue, whether verbal or nonverbal, I really enjoyed that. Getting to know more about the Tuscan Raider culture, that was pretty awesome. Or Tuscan culture, I'm just going to say that. The Tuscan culture was pretty cool. The Jawa all of a sudden becoming the villains of the Star Wars <laughs> universe, low-key villains. Uh, and who knows? Maybe the next episode they'll kind of show us the Jawa culture. Who knows? But getting to see Tamora Morrison step into the role, really own the role, certainly looking a little stronger, looking a little better, ready to take it on. His chemistry with Ming-Na Wen was fantastic. I enjoyed the direction. Really loved the music. The music was fantastic throughout the whole uh, uh, episode. And I thought this is one of the best directed things Robert Rodriguez has ever done. I, I haven't always been the biggest fan of Robert Rodriguez as a director. Certain films, yes. Other films, no. But I liked what he did here. And I enjoyed the pacing. And Jennifer Beals certainly deserves a massive shout out. She just slid right on into Star Wars and was completely confident and owned her space there as a Twilight uh, running that the bar, the sanctuary. She was great. So I really enjoyed all the elements here and they laid the groundwork. I've seen so many criticisms when I don't know what the story is. The story is just taking over the damn thing in Mos Espa. That's the story. It's really simple. And the all idea, what's the, who's the villain? Obviously the mayor's the villain. So there's a lot of here complaints that I've seen that I'm like, I don't understand what you didn't get about this episode that was laid out pretty clearly throughout the first uh, 36 minutes. I think that's how long this episode was uh, throughout. So we'll see. But as we as we break it all down, we'll discuss it for sure. This is our last final warning before we jump into uh, our last spoiler, rather, before we jump into uh, uh, breaking this thing down. Let's start first with the Sarlacc pit. As Laura mentioned, this was the question she wanted to have answered, but she wasn't the only one. I think all of us have been waiting decades to find out if Boba Fett actually got out of this Sarlacc pit. We'd seen stuff in Legends, and I think there's a little bit of elements of that 
in this, uh, in what we saw here in, in this live action interpretation of him escaping the Sarlacc pit. This is officially canon now. So Michael, he got out. He used a stormtrooper who'd been there for God knows how long, used his oxygen to punch a hole through the uh, stomach wall or whatever you want to call it of the Sarlacc pit, lit the flamethrower on his arm, uh, and then got and crawled out through the sand and covered in the juice of uh, the Sarlacc. For me, this felt symbolic like a rebirth of Boba Fett, like him being reborn out of another womb to be a completely different person than he was. And we're going to obviously see that as it goes along and certainly was completely different when we saw him in The Mandalorian. So this almost symbolized a rebirth to me. What did you think about the Sarlacc pit sequence and how he got out of it? Were you satisfied? Yeah, I think Jon Favreau did a smart thing and that he didn't, you know, kind of... We didn't get, we didn't need uh, 15 minutes of Sarlacc pit action. Like, you know, it's like, we want to know how he got out and they gave us a really simple answer. I mean, we know how tough Mandalorian armor is. Uh, we we see him in there. 13-year-old, 10-year-old me was super thrilled to see the inside of a Sarlacc pit. Like, yeah. I just thought it was cool. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think what we saw him do, heating everything up, punching a hole through that stomach pit, uh, and getting out of there was good. And I think, you know, it sort of also explains why, partially why, I mean, you know, he kind of goes through the worst skincare regimen that you've ever seen in any movie <laughs> in this half hour, but it does start by starting to get digested and then superheating the stomach. And I'm assuming your armor as well to get your ass out of there. Um, so I thought it was like a really cool, but really like quick and efficient sequence. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, you got us in, you gave us the answer, he crawled out, we were like, kind of Laura nailed it. It's like, okay, asked, answered, mm. now we're ready to move on. Yeah. Laura, what did you think about it going to you here? Did you like, did it answer your question? And did you like, I mean, we saw the Jawa come in and take his uniform. We saw the Tuscans, which we'll get to in just a second, kind of drag him back to their camp. What did you think overall about how he got out? There was no mind melding here, no extra stuff that was done. He just kind of punched <laughs> his way through and got out of the situation. Yeah. I got to address the inside of the Sarlacc pit though. First, <laughs> do you guys remember the movie sphere? Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That gave me like major sphere vibes mm. in there. And it, I, it also made me wonder, I'm like, do you wonder what the inside of that stormtrooper looks like? Like, I want to see what he looks like. <laughs> it would totally be like something straight out of sphere. It would just be gross. Oh, yeah. But that's what it, that's what it gave me. Yeah. And like the, the thick globs of like fluid dropping. Oh, my Ugh. God. It was it was gross. <laughs> but also in like a really just fun Star Wars grotesque, you know, way, mm -hmm. which is just all we need in star wars but I, I like how quick they were i think efficient is the perfect term for it um to get in and out of there and move us forward in the story but i gotta give a shout out to camino too that was really fun to get to see like yes. one little just the one little shot because it was a different angle i think than we'd seen before um mm -hmm. as as well as geonosis those were fun little flashbacks too for sure and him grabbing that helmet uh, out of in attack of the clothes uh Shannon, efficiency, did you like it or were you kind of a little bit bummed out about it, wanting a little, what did you want the 15 minutes that Michael was saying he didn't want? Did you want to spend more time inside the Starlight Pick? Did you want to see any mind melding? Did you want to see him navigating this whole situation? And how much time do you think has passed while he was in there before he got out? I mean, I definitely didn't want any mind melding. I thought like, <laughs> the, like, like a, a warrior punching his way out of a situation makes total sense to me. Um, I did like the, the brief glimpses of Camino. I, I mean, I wouldn't have gone 15 minutes, but I would have maybe split the difference. Um, okay. I would have liked to have seen more of y young Boba, but you know, Daniel Logan is not a, a kid anymore and we don't yeah. necessarily get that. Um, 
I, and this is kind of the, the gross part of me. I was like, I really wanted to see some melted stormtrooper armor. Like, I have no Ooh. doubt that he that that guy is liquefied inside. I'm like, I wish like it, it, it you know, for not being able to hold up against a blaster. Um, it does remarkably remarkably well against sarlacc digestive fluid. Um, <laughs> but uh, and, and again, the 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 comic side of my brain as Boba Fett gets out, I really wanted him to take a shot at the Sarlacc pit. I thought that would have been really, really funny. Like, ah, oh, son of a bitch, fuck you. Um, I thought that would have been hilarious. And also, I think this is the first time we've gotten to see a Jawa get physical using the butt of his uh, uh, blaster yeah. rifle to pop Boba in the face. Um, but I also the back to tank. I mean, this is a, this is what they did in Back to the Future Part Two so well is like you know you don't want to have your guy in makeup the whole time, so it's just kind of like hey, oh he's in the back to tank. That's going to heal him. That's going to get him back to normal. That he doesn't have to be in prosthetics right. yeah. uh, all that time. Yeah, I, Mike. Mike, it was a hyperbaric back to tank chamber. That's what that was. What, what did you think of this? I mean, I think, listen, I love a back to tank. It, it was a great, uh, I mean, I think Shannon is right that like the back to tank does serve a very specific purpose in that we can have Tamora Morrison not looking like the thing from the Fantastic Four for most yeah. of the show. True. But I think also it gets right away from a story standpoint. We understand and we didn't really get this in Mandalorian season two. Like he's not great. Yeah, he's he he does he is weak. Like we love Boba Fett, but as much as he's going to have challenges navigating the underworld and the ins and outs of the rules, yeah. he's also not at full strength right now. Uh, and nobody really knows that except for Fennec Shand. And so I think that's going to be an interesting story thing as well. To your other question about how long he's been in there, I don't think he's been in there that long because yeah. the jaw was showing up. We see the crashed sail barge next to the Sarlacc pit. Right. Um, and them showing up means that they're scavenging. And if it had been a while, those dudes would have scavenged that thing a while ago. So them sure. showing up when they do, I think he actually does get out of there relatively quickly. Yeah. Uh, and that he'll, you know, it, I, I don't know that it was like the next day, but I think it's quickly <laughs> enough that the Jawas are just now showing up to scavenge everything and that he's going to, that the majority of the five years that we're going to fill in these gaps is going to be with the Tuscan Raiders actually. Yeah. So I think yeah. that that's going to be interesting. I do love like to both of your points about the Jawas, like they're just the vultures of Tatooine. Like, they are not, <laughs> if, if you can move remotely, they're not going to come near you. But if right. you are down and out, they are swooping in. Like they are, they are just little parasites. <laughs> yeah. We'll get to that in the Tuscan Raiders uh, here next. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. So as, as Michael mentioned, Laura mentioned, I mean, the, the Jawa come in, they take the armor from Boba. They strip him clean. I've seen this happen before. And then the, the Tuscan Raiders come in. They basically leave him for dead. Then the Tuscan Raiders come in, they see him there. They use some sort of worm liquid to bring him somewhat back to life. And then they attach him to the back of a Bantha. By the way, the Banthas, are my favorite animals in Star Wars. So it was great to see them highlighted again, the Tuscans riding them. But seeing Boba being, uh, you know, kind of walked back, tied up to them with the rope, it was very reminiscent of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, and mm -hmm. I was really surprised by that. You know, Star Wars has the Western influence, certainly throughout, certainly the samurai influence as well, but certainly the Western influence is there. And that seemed to be two old dudes like Favreau and Rodriguez giving a shout-out to one of their favorite films and one of their favorite Westerns for sure. And then eventually he's dragged back to the camp, tied to a stump, 
with a roadie in there, a, a, you know, snitching roadie in there uh, and has to navigate that whole situation. So uh, eventually some young kids show up, start beating them with sticks and all of this. Uh, and then eventually uh, he is, she tries to break free with a massive watching him. Uh, he knocks out the massive, cuts his, uh, cuts his uh, uh, bonds there with the teeth runs away when the Rodian uh, kind of sounds the alarm uh, and then uh, eventually is subdued and caught up with by the massive and the Tuscan and a female Tuscan Raider and ends up seducing him and he's back tied to the post next to the Rodian. So Laura Kelly, did you like the whole Tuscan Raider sequence here at this point uh, in terms of how they were handling Boba Fett becoming a prisoner of theirs and what they were going to do with him? I did. And, you know, you mentioned the uh, the Banthas. I had to give a shout out to the Massives. I've always really mm. liked the Massives because I like any creature that is dog-like in Star Wars. Yeah. So, like, Rancors with their adorable underbite, my go-to. <laughs> um, but Massives are, they're up there now. We got a lot of, like, massive action in this episode. Um, and, they're, and they're just adorable. But I, I want to give a shout out, I think, to, like, the costume department because oh, yeah. it never occurred to me. And maybe it occurred to people who had the action figure. It never occurred to me that Boba Fett is wearing like a onesie <laughs> under all of that armor. So I was, I was a little bit surprised once they stripped everything away. And I'm like, that was, that was a bold choice to go with the the Jake from State Farm, but all over khaki. It was, <laughs> it was an interesting wow. choice, uh, but it was, <laughs> but it was fun. Uh, the Tuscan Raiders. I'm looking forward to seeing more about this culture. Um, mm -hmm. Getting to see like. <clears throat> like a child and the chief and yeah. maybe like a slight differentiation between like the men and the women in this culture. Like I'm, I'm excited to just dive in a little bit deeper here. I think that's, a, that's going to be a fun part of this season. Yeah, sure. Shannon, what did you think about this uh, first section of the Tuscan Raiders kind of getting to this whole sequence of Boba Fett ending a back on the tide of the tree stump and is snitching roadie in there. I mean, the, the squirting carrot that they used to bring Boba. <laughs> <laughs> Again, that was just, just, gross um but i'm like ah oh, you know this is you know the, the alien world makes sense um i love i mean it was a gorgeous shot of the the line of banthas and also they were traveling single files yeah hide their numbers right. which i was like oh that's that's really smart i mean because it you know calling back calling back to the original movie mm -hmm. um yeah i mean looking at the tuscans in this they're dressed a lot differently than than the Tuscans that we've that we've been uh, that we've met in the past. I mean, yeah. the ones that I feel they they look a little more ragged. Whereas mm -hmm. these guys, there's almost a a regality to them, mm -hmm. like with the darker clothes. And it's like, oh, do you put on the rags to go out? But when you, when you're kind of at the homestead, is that when you kind of you know you, you wear what you would prefer to be wearing? Mm -hmm. Which uh, you know I thought I thought was really really cool. And the, 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 yeah, the snitching, the snitching Rodian, um, I mean, they just don't look trustworthy. I mean, maybe it's because <laughs> yep. you can't, you can't see the whites of their eyes. It's just all pupil. Um, <laughs> wow. and to, uh, to Laura's point about the Boba Fett white onesie, <laughs> um, sometimes like I, I haven't seen this in a very long time, but back when the Disney parks first got the uh, star Wars characters, uh, Boba Fett would show up for Star Wars weekends and they wouldn't always do the distressing um, that the movies would do. So you would see like the cool green armor and this bright white uh, uh, piece, piece of cloth underneath that was always a little like, eh, you ain't, you ain't Boba Fett. <laughs> <laughs> you sit on a throne of lies. Yeah. <laughs> Smell of beer and cheese. But uh, watching Michael, the duel oh, I thought was great. 
watching yeah. the duel between like you, you see that the Tuscans are very formidable, formidable warriors. Absolutely. Michael, what struck you about this whole uh, Tuscan Raider sequence up to this point when he's tied back to the stuff? Um, I thought, I mean, kind of echoing what everybody else said, I think, you know, Mandalorian kind of started this thing where we saw, we saw that the Tusken Raiders actually did have a culture. I yeah. mean, I think in, right. in, in uh, A New Hope and then getting into the prequels, the Tusken Raiders were just like those dudes that lived out in the desert and were an issue. And with Mandalorian, we started to see that they had their own ways of doing things. And I think we're just yeah. going to kind of double down on that here. Um, I thought it was interesting. I don't know if it's budgetary or if there's actually a in-world reason. If being that it's Star Wars, someone's going to come up with an in-world reason. But in uh, episode two, when Anakin went to save his mom and like wiped out a village of uh, Tusken Raiders, they kind of lived in huts, and these guys live in tents and seem yeah. more nomadic. Um, I don't know if that is any reason other than they were like, we don't want to build the huts, or if maybe after Anakin killed a bunch of them, they were like, yeah, let's just stay on the road. Uh, <laughs> could go either way on that. Um, I also, what I'm really curious about, I mean, obviously we're going to see more of the Tusken Raiders and Boba and this kind of relationship, but the Boba that we are seeing now in this show when we get to present time is very stuck on, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this out of respect, I'm not right. going to do this out of fear. He has a clear code yeah. that he's going by that... I don't know 100% that that lines up with the bounty hunter that we know from Empire Strikes Back or even what we know of younger Boba's life from Clone Wars. Like, he doesn't, like, at no point in those, and Laura can correct me if I'm wrong because I think she probably knows better than me as far as Clone Wars goes, but young Boba, like, this wasn't necessarily a dude who was learning a code other than hanging out with a bunch of bounty hunters mm -hmm. and doing some badass bounty hunter shit. And he clearly has such a code here. And even in the way that we see the Tusken Raiders unfold throughout this episode, it seems that they have a code. So yep. I'm really curious if some of what Boba is bringing to his I'm going to take over the underworld now in present day is going to be really more influenced by his time with the Tusken Raiders than yep. maybe we thought it was going to be going into this. Yeah, it's funny That's... what happens when you don't when you dive into a culture rather than looking at it from a distance. And, you know, I was talking to someone, I was doing another review of this for the Hollywood Critics Association, and Maggie Lovett was on there. She writes for Collider, and she talked about it. She hosts a Star Wars show as well. And she mentioned how the Tuscan Tuscans are essentially one of the indigenous people of the planet yeah. of Tatooine. So having these people come down, take it over, and then vilify them is very reminiscent to what we've seen to Native Americans in this country or indigenous people all around the world in their respective countries when colonizers come in. So from a distance, you can see them as, as criminals and evil and whatever, but once you actually dive into the culture and understand the culture and what they're trying to save and the things that they're doing so they can save their culture, then you start to have a whole different perspective for sure. And I think that came through really clearly here by the end of the Tusken Raiders sequence. I was on board with them 100%. Yeah. And I think, Mike, you make an excellent point. They may be the one, because a lot of people are complaining. They turned Boba Fett into this. And it's like, let the story play out. We're going to get multiple flashbacks. And yes, he's different from the bounty hunter that he was when we met him. And through the experience with the Tusken Raiders and whatever he's going to go through, I imagine there is where you're going to see his influence into why he's changed so much. And again, I go back to him coming out of Sarlacc, but that's a rebirth covered in the, in essentially the, what do you call it, The embryonic fluid. That's a rebirth to a symbolism to a new Boba Fett. Sorry, Shannon, what were you going to say? No, I was going to say that's really interesting because one of the things, and I feel like this, I mean, for me, this may have been a mistake when, mm. when Fett offered to cut the Rodian's vines. Like, I feel like the old Fett wouldn't have done that. Like, ah. like, 
and, and like the Rodian would have maybe put his hands out, like, come on, cut, cut my binds, man. And when he says right. no, that's when the Rodian sh- should have snitched. Um, that's gotcha. just something that kind of bumped me story-wise. I thought that right. was, I thought that was unusual yeah. for, yeah. for someone who, you know, is kind of a self-servant. He was like the gimp in Pulp Fiction. Look, man, I'm trying to get out of here. Why are you yelling for the guys to come come back and, and put you back in in the leather? Anyway, all right, let's let's move on to the second half here. He uh, he ends up uh, getting taken by the young kid uh, who had been beating him before. He kind of disarms him, and then it's, I mean, sorry, the kid kind of takes him and the Rodian out to go and go moist, essentially moisture farming for uh, for them, and they go digging through these things. He bitches out the Rodian. The Rodian kind of responds back saying, you know, I just did what I did. And we don't understand what he's saying, but Boba's interpreting it here. And then <laughs> We're getting the tone. <laughs> you get the tone. Exactly. Uh, and while the young kid uh, and uh, it's massive is just relaxing in the sun, um, uh, the Rodian uncovers, as Shannon said, this Harryhausen six-limbed creature uh, that ends up uh, pretty much subduing or knocking out almost everybody until Boba takes his chains, run up its, runs up its spine, and chokes it out. This leads to uh, the next shot being the kid walking back to the camp with the head of this creature and Boba essentially giving the kid credit as the kid is bragging that he did it when we know he didn't do it. And who is, and the person who looks to be the leader of the Tuscans offers him water in essence, accepting him as an equal or accepting him uh, into the tribe. So Shannon, what did you think about the second half of this Tuscan Raider sequence? Did you like the way it ended up playing out? I was I was into it until that creature popped up. That creature okay. really kind of took took the joy out of it for me. Um, I love the idea that they that this kid, this child, is is put in charge of these two prisoners and is ordering them around. Mm-hmm. And you see some raiders kind of you know uh, uh, ransacking a moisture farm um, and like whatever that si- that symbol like it looked like a JL to me. Yeah, like I'm curious. It's like hang is yeah is that going to come back is boba fett going to meet those guys in tatooine um but yeah i mean i love that the kid took the took the little bit the little bit of water from him and poured it out and i was like oh that's really that's really funny i mean you're setting up this relationship Mm -hmm. that boba fett is going to uh that is going to develop with this kid but then as soon as that monster came out i was like oh this thing sucks uh, like I'm thinking of like the, the mud horn <laughs> from Mandalorian episode two. Like that was a great, that was a great star Wars monster. Like to me, this, again, it just looked very Harryhausen. I don't know if it was, it was too anthropomorphized or I was like, I don't like, he's literally holding him and punching him. <laughs> like, that's just kind of silly. It, it, even though, even though like the thing is clearly very strong, I mean, it killed the Rodian quite quickly. Yeah. Uh, I just would have liked to have seen a different creature. I think a different creature would have uh, helped that sequence for me. Fair enough. Mike, what did you think of this sequence? Uh, and did you, uh, do you have any issues with the creature as well? And did you catch, I mean, this feels very much like we've seen, like maybe in films like 300 and we've read about in other cultures uh, where, you know, the young person is sent out to an essence hunt and show their manhood to be able to survive. So this young kid, this young Tuscan essentially being handed these two prisoners to go and see what he can do. And if he can bring them back and get moisture uh, for them, what, what did you think about this whole sequence all the way to the end? Well, first of all, I think I don't like how Shannon uses Harryhausen like it's some kind of insult. So you get, <laughs> that's you fair. Get Ray, you could get Ray Harryhausen's mouth uh, name out of your dirty ass mouth, sir. Oh, oh, that's what I think. Ouch! Here we go. Um, but I think I don't know that the uh, I don't know that the, the young Tuscan Raider was going on any kind of like sort of journey of manhood. I think that much like much like if you've been to Burning Man, you go on ice runs. 
I think this was a water run. I think this is part of the chores of the Tusken Raiders. Oh, maybe. You need water maybe. to survive. And I think him going out there to do his chores and being like, hey, I'm going to chill in the sand. You two do my chores is a very <laughs> kid thing to do. Uh, yeah, I thought the Raiders were interesting. I'm pretty sure that they, I, the symbol, I, I didn't go back and check this, but I mean, I'm assuming that they are probably the same Raiders that Cobb Vanth is dealing with roughly yes. at the same time, right, since right. we know that Cobb Vanth pretty soon is going to be getting that Boba Fett armor uh, from the Jawas. So I think that they may be the same Raiders uh, that kind of like, if timeline-wise, very shortly after this takes place, we know that Cobb Banth is at, uh, at, a, at a small cantina in his little area, and we right. see the Death Star get destroyed, and we see these raiders come in. So kind of thought they were the same guys. Thought the whole searching for moisture pods was interesting. I think that I don't understand the ecosystem of Tatooine. I don't understand what goes on in this sand, but holy shit, the creatures <laughs> that are hiding underneath... I don't disagree with Shannon that I don't think that this creature is going to like go in any top 10 list of coolest Star Wars aliens ever. But <laughs> I do think that the Harryhausen um, similarity was intentional. I mean, yes. it's very much to me read as a, we're going to go ahead and do a Harryhausen homage right here. Right. Um, so like, and you know, I think that that's a 50-50 thing. I think if you are someone of a certain age who mm-hmm. uh, knows who Ray Harryhausen was and has watched some of those old stop motion things, you look at that monster and you're like, hey, that's a cool nod. The same way uh, as the nods to the Spaghetti Western are in there. Yep. I think if you're a younger kid, you may have more of Shannon's opinion and be like, well, that's not, I don't, I don't necessarily want to buy that action figure. <laughs> um, but I thought the whole thing was really cool, and I loved kind of seeing that moment at the end where the, I'm assuming the chief of this uh, tribe of Tuscans kind of just hands him the water. And I just yeah. think it was just a, such a simple gesture and kind of to Shannon's point about the younger Tuscan kind of pouring out the water. It's yeah. just like using water as this like water is really, really valuable there. And yeah. so the young Tuscan raider being like, oh, you want that water? Sorry, I'm going to give it to my mastiff, my, my massif and let this fall in the thing. And then the chief kind of being like, all right, cool, cool. And not even looking at him, but just like handing it over. Yeah. And you're like, all right, this is going to be interesting. I'm cool. I'm excited to see where this goes. Yeah. Warrior to warrior, handing him the water. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. And yeah, you've got John Favreau who wrote this and Robert Rodriguez who directed it. Guys in their 50s. So they know Harry Housen. So I, I agree with you, Mike. I think it was a very deliberate homage to him. Laura, you're the youngest of us. What did you think about this end sequence? And did you hate the monster as well? Okay, so I didn't hate the monster because, like, my favorite show when I was growing up was, like, Xena Warrior Princess, and there were, like, monsters, <laughs> like, monsters on the show that looked like that. Yes, it looked, were. like, straight out of, like, something out of Greek mythology, so it worked for me. I didn't mind it. I thought it looked great. Um, but I, I thought it was inter- an interesting choice because my first thought when we kind of saw, like, the scales was, like, oh, it's going to be another crate Dragon. Yeah. But we already oh, saw yeah. that, so I'm kind of glad that they went in a different direction and we're not getting a repeat monster. Um, in this whole sequence, though, when I one of the things that stuck out to me was sort of the amount of like heart that we were seeing from Boba Fett, and maybe this was a complaint that a lot of people were having. Yeah. But the fact that like the owner of this moisture farm was like getting beaten by these raiders, and Boba has to like look away, and in the earlier sequence when he has to like, I mean, at one point he's like he knocks out that massive, but then he's like petting it, and I'm like, what? <laughs> What was that about? I mean, there's there's little tiny moments that I just think are really funny um, and kind of give a lot more to the character, I think, in this one episode than we got in, like, all of the other Boba Fett content that we've had. And we did yeah. get a decent amount in The Clone Wars, and I was kind of indifferent to all of it. So I this this gave me more of, like, a character that was interesting to me. 
um especially the little like moments of humor where he looks up at the massive and he's like no hard feelings mate i just <laughs> I, I loved that little line and it, it the whole sequence just worked for me i love how they just they just pepper in these little bits of humor in this show every now and then and i think it it worked really well yeah i agree with you i'm, I'm so confused by people who want a bloodthirsty boba but they're not going to make that person the lead of a series they're just not going to do that in the star wars universe in the disney plus universe they're going to show that he's more than capable to handle himself, but you got to make him hu a human, for lack of a better term. You got to make him relatable. You got to see a little bit of vulnerability that allows you to connect to that person. Then you can understand the more brutal aspects of his nature when they show up. So it allows you to flesh out a character more and you can feel a connection to the grayer areas of the character because of that. So I'm just confused by people that wanted well, a bloodthirsty Boba to lead the series. I, it made no sense. I don't know that it's, I don't know that it's, I mean, if you just I'm want confused a bloodthirsty, if you want a bloodthirsty Boba to run this, to, to, to be in this, to just be the series, you want to see him go kill people every week, then yes, that's probably not the show that Disney exactly. Plus is going to give you in Lucasfilm. But I do think kind of to Shannon's point earlier, like I do think it is a valid critique and let's see where it goes right. to say kind of what I said, which is the Boba Fett of the original trilogy and the young Boba that we met in Clone Wars did to, to Laura's point did not exhibit uh, a whole lot of empathy to anybody or anything. Um, and so if indeed he is going to learn from the Tuscans and that's going to be a thing, mm -hmm. it still doesn't fully answer that he is a little sweeter to the massive and a little, you know, like some of the, like wanting to help the Rodian, like there is a little bit of like, well, who is this guy? Because the guy that, uh, dropped off Han Solo to Jabba mm -hmm. seemed like a cold bastard. And then he went into the, and, and we don't know, like there's a it's lot of years between. Hundred percent, but I'm just saying, like, I don't think that the criticism of is this guy at the beginning necessarily the guy we remember is a hundred percent invalid. No, no, I, I never said it was invalid. I'm just confused by it because you know who is making this series, you know who this character is, and there's no way they were going to go that direction with him uh, in that way. And yes, you, you say he's—I don't know if he's a—he's doing his job. His job is to be hired to go get these guys and turn them in. He didn't play with Han Solo and torture him and light him on fire for a little while. Like, he didn't do any of the cruel stuff. We didn't see him as a young kid like, you know, playing with animals and stripping their skin off. Like, he didn't see any of that. So he can have a connection with the animals. more. That's just fleshing the character out a little bit more. So I don't know why people were upset about that, but... Uh, uh, well, and, uh, and, to, and to push back on that there, and in support of you, John, I mean, the character that we have seen, he might be cold, but he's not bloodthirsty. Right. right? Yeah. If, yeah, yeah, if, yeah. if you're a successful bounty hunter and you disintegrate one person, you're going to have the reputation right. of disintegrating people, which is why Vader says no disintegrations. Ultimately, <laughs> it is his job. Like, he, right, right. he is a bounty hunter. He introduces Finnick as master assassin. Right. He doesn't introduce himself like that. So I but but yes, I, I agree with Michael though that where he starts, like this this is what mm. makes the journey interesting, is yeah. that you see this character grow and change. It could also be the people putting their expectations on this character. We don't get that one hundred percent in the original 100%. trilogy, and we've seen legends tales that tell more about him, and certainly in Clone Wars, as you, as you mentioned, and other things, but we haven't seen a fully fleshed out Boba, and I think that's what we're getting here. So very interesting to explore it. And speaking of Fennec Shan, let's move on to that next section here in our show here. This relationship between Fennec Shan and uh, Boba Fett, certainly Ming-Na Wen coming back here to reprise the role in great chemistry, rekindled between the both of them. We see, uh, Michael, two different philosophies 
in how to take over Moss Espa. It's certainly very clear that Fennec Shand wants to kind of walk the same path that Boba, that uh, uh, Jabba walked before. I don't know what path Bim Fortuna walked. He's more of an interim manager, but it was Jabba and Boba <laughs> now who are basically these two people that are going, and she wants to walk, but Boba wants to rule with, with out of respect, not out of fear. He wants to generate a, a, a connection with the people there where they respect him, they don't fear him, and certainly that opening, uh, him coming out of the back to tank, him receiving uh, all these people, all these different speed, the Aqualition, all of that, receiving uh, their tributes and then having the mayor the mayor's domo come in major domo come in and essentially almost insult boba asking tribute from him and then later when they head over to the sanctuary how he wants to deal uh with jennifer beals's character is very interesting versus how fennec shand is is dealing with things so what did you think about this relationship overall throughout this first episode as we've gotten a little more with them and we're seeing clearly that fennec has a more ruthless approach to ruling Whereas uh, Boba wants a little more, is more magnanimous in his approach. Yeah, I mean, look, I think uh, a a ton of Easter eggs through all this, but B, mm. yeah, it, it, there's everything that happens in this opening scene uh, once he wakes up out of the back to tank and goes to meet the tributes after a really cool uh, let's armor Boba up sequence. Yes, true, very um, true, which was awesome. Yeah, it's all it, it all kind of to your point is there to underscore the fact that. Boba's doing this really differently. And like Bib Fortuna, not just interim manager. I mean, Bib Fortuna was running things for about five years, yeah. more or less. So he's been doing it a while. And I do think when you look at how the Twi'lek Majordomo or uh, Jennifer Beals uh, at Sanctuary, I think Bib Fortuna as a Twi'lek really understood how to sort of grease the wheels of everything mm, in a way that point. Boba does not. So I yeah. think we're going to get a little bit more of all of that. Um, but yeah, you know, obviously Fennec Shan right off the bat is like, we've got to like, you know, have a certain uh, air about us. But even, um, I think it's 8D8, the droid yes. that is there. Uh, last time we saw him, he was torturing uh, a gonkey in Return of the Jedi. Mm -hmm. And now he's here being like, hey, maybe torture? Maybe let's <laughs> torture some more. And Boba's like, no, no, let's not torture the Gamorrean guards. Let's not do this. Let's not do that. I thought the the major domo sequence with the uh, the Twi'lek major domo was really really interesting, um, just because this idea that even the mayor of Mos Espa is like, no, no, you pay me. Like you're seeing right, right off the bat that Boba's trying to do things with an air of like respect and let's do things with a way of honor that uh, clearly is at odds with the with what Fennec Shan thinks, but that also is at odds with the way things have been working in Tatooine yeah. up to this point. Yeah. So I think that's all gonna be really interesting. And then, uh, you know, as we were saying, even as Fennec and Boba go towards the sanctuary, the, you should be on a litter, on, a, on you know, you should be like, you should be doing this in a way that like shows everyone how powerful you are, you should do all yeah. these things. And the fact that he didn't do any of that uh, is really interesting. And then, once we get into the sanctuary, uh, yeah, just we'll, we'll get there in a minute. Yeah, we'll definitely get there for sure. Um, and I just want to clarify something because I thought this too, Michael, that it was a uh, eight to eight, but I'm seeing a number of people, and certainly in uh, in the uh, IMDb listing, the droids named UK2B. That's the name of the droid, so it's a version of eight D eight. So I don't know if that's just another part of it or if it's renamed or whatever. Uh, but of course, Matt Barry doing the voice for those of you who are yep. what we do in the shadows fans. Uh, no rumor, no, uh, no truth to the rumor that Jackie Daytona may show up as a droid. We shall see. But I, I, love, <laughs> I love the fact that we're getting this, uh, this kind of uh, droid here to do this. And I love that, that we're getting some political intrigue, Laura. Yep. I like this idea of political intrigue. I like this idea of like people offering tributes. We saw the Wookiee pelt, 
there from the the trend is a Trandoshan who's mm-hmm. holding the Wookiee pelt reminded me a lot of what we saw in Bad Batch with Sid having that Wookiee pelt. Clearly, there's there's a long history of issues between the Trandoshans and the Wookies there. But then eventually, uh, him being called this uh, da- Daimyo, which is in essence a feudal lord in Japan. Uh, uh, and, and by the Trandoshan, and then having the Major Domo come in, which is also a Japanese uh, reference, to kind of insult him, so to speak, and leading to what I imagine was the delegation, that warning of those uh, so, uh, soldiers or guards or whatever they are showing up to attack him. That's an interesting amount of political intrigue going on. And throw in the, the relationship between both of them with two different philosophies. What did you think about this whole intro to their relationship and how they're navigating these political moments? I'm really enjoying the sort of push and pull that we're getting with Fennec and with Boba. This is this is a relationship I was sort of skeptical about from the mm. very beginning because I feel like she's like indebted to him because he saved her. And so I'm kind of like, yeah, but does she have like the free will to leave if she wants to? Is that like so Good I'm a, I'm a little bit not clear on where they stand with that. And I'm kind of hoping we dig into it a little bit more. But if we don't, I'm still really enjoying just the back and forth between them because they have amazing chemistry and amazing banter. It's it's mm. really fun to watch. Um, in terms of the political intrigue in this show, John, I feel like they crawled right into your brain <laughs> and wrote this show based on what you wanted. Like, I'm, I'm fairly certain this show is made for you. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to actually hearing more about your thoughts on as the series goes on. Um, <laughs> the Wookiee Pelt was... Um, surprising i forgot that there was like a whole thing between like the trained oceans and the Wookiees. Oh, yeah. that was just alarming to see um <laughs> doc strassi is the name of that that trained uh, yes. character voiced by robert rodriguez i believe yes. um so that's he's making a uh, voice appear cameos here now and then i think in this show i think he also appeared in the trailer as the mayor so we'll see if he's actually voicing the mayor right. in the show okay. um I, uh, overall though, well, let me, let me ask you real quick, is... Laura, before you go forward, you mentioned the mayor. Yeah. Do you think they're going the same path with the Mandalorian that the mayor's going to be like Moff Gideon? Like we don't see him, him or her until the last episode or second to last episode. Do you think that's possible? No. And you know, the only reason I don't okay. think so is because we saw him in the trailer. So, yeah, and I think they had said that, you know, like everything that you saw in the trailer is from like the very beginning of this oh, series. Right. Right. And a lot of it we did see in the, in this first episode, but that the mayor character was sort of one of the few things that they left out. So I imagine that's going to be coming up here soon. Okay. Uh, well, did you want to finish the rest of your points? Oh, sorry. Wait. Yeah. No, I was going to add really quickly on that point. Like, I don't think the mayor of Mos Espa is a big bad. I think the mayor okay. of Mos Espa is a cognitive wheel. Like, if we're going to be doing the criminal underworld post-Jedi, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I don't know that we're going full crime syndicates, Crimson Dawn or anything, but I think that whoever, like, whatever, whatever, whoever the mayor is getting his power from, like, there is an underworld, and with Jabba out of it, it there might be a vacuum that Boba's trying to fill, but right. there's going to be a lot of bigger power players that I think we're going to have some cool surprises down the road of who he's going to have to run into. Certainly Crimson Dawn has been uh, rumored to be a possibility showing up at some version here in this series. We shall see. Laura, did you want to finish your points? Any more points you want to make? Uh, just one other point I wanted to say. I think in the captions it identified 88 as 88. So that, I, yeah, I don't know. Weird. If, yeah, I wonder if maybe the other droid that you were reading, was that maybe the protocol droid in the cantina? I, I don't, I'm not no, sure. No, I'm looking at IMDb. IMDb oh, right now. Okay. List him as UK2B. And I've looked on three different articles here from Decider weird. and from Screen Rant calling him UK2B. So I, I don't know. I don't know, but yeah. Sound, he looks like he likes to torture people to me. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> just saying. 
Shannon, what did you think about? I mean, you, you love to see these dialogue heavy scenes. Talk to me about what you thought about the back and forth between these two and the two different philosophies kind of slamming into each other about how to rule Moss Espa. What did you feel about it? I mean, at this point, Fennec is right. She's like, you know, if you want right. to come in and project power, like you have to do what they're used to. Otherwise, they don't understand what you're doing. The fact that you're showing up on your own two feet while honorable, um, they don't understand that that's that that's 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 an honorable thing. They think like, oh, you're not strong enough to be carried by, you know, by servants. So let's let's not respect this guy. Um, I love the fact that Fennec is basically like his consigliere. Yeah. Um, that he's not really listening to at this point. Um, the comment that he says when the Trandoshan comes in and he says, this is strange. I used to work for him. And Phoenix says, how do you think it is for him? <laughs> like, really, really funny. And even the Trandoshan line, like even when a Trandoshan compliments you, it sounds like a threat. Like I <laughs> love that. Like I want to see more of that organized crime stuff. I mean, that's the yeah. stuff that's really fun yeah. as they were walking to, uh, walking outside. I, I'm pretty sure that we saw three Boston Dynamics robot dogs. Yes. Oh, we um, sure did. Yeah. Which I was just like, that is hilarious. <laughs> I love the fact that so. they're using that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's going to be interesting going forward. If Finnick is an ally, if, if she is with him all the way, or mm -hmm. if, that, if she sees an opening, like, you know what? He's not playing by the rules. I will. Yeah. Yeah, she That's, does yeah, say when, when he says when he says to keep when the major domo leaves and she and Bo, uh, Boba says to her keep an eye on that one and she's like I keep an eye on everybody and I was yeah. like does that include Boba Fett? Oh yeah, <laughs> well, and, and we saw in Bad Batch she'll make easy alliances and she'll break them when she needs to. So I, I got no surprise. I would be no I would not be surprised at all if she sees a moment here where she sees Boba not listening to her and takes the reins. Uh, and it'll be fascinating. And I can't wait to see the fanboys go crazy about that when a woman takes the reins from Boba Fett. But I, I anticipate that's going to happen at some point down the road, which is why I love that they're setting up their, as you mentioned, Laura, the push and pull of both of them in their philosophies as they encounter every situation they're encountering here. Uh, Mike, you wanted to say one more thing? I, I was just going to say along the lines of Fennec Shand, it's just... You know, this is not an easy thing to do, and, and Marvel does it really well, and now, like, they've been doing it really well on the Star Wars TV shows, is this is a character that just was, like, pulled out of thin air. Yeah, they made right. her up. Like, she showed up in season one of Mandalorian. She came back in season two with Boba Fett. She showed up in Bad Batch, and now she's here, and she is a fully developed, interesting yeah. member of the Star Wars universe now. Like, she is someone that we're intrigued by. She is clearly, like, a little bit more bloodthirsty, a little bit more prone to let's kill first and figure it out later than even Boba is. And she's an amazing character. And it's just, like, to see this awesome, cool character just that kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, you know, like, again, you just... I think we say this every time we talk Star Wars, but you just see what Filoni started with... Mm -hmm. Clone Wars animated into Rebels and everything and you see them continuing this in live action where that a, a franchise that existed kind of solely on Luke, Leia, Han, uh, Vader, you know, these core characters that we love that now we're like Ahsoka, Sabine, yeah. Ezra, Fennec, like just the, like it's just amazing to me that they have populated this universe with so many fascinating, interesting characters that we all love so much. Is this Favreau's first full-on character that he's created in terms of Fennec? Is that is that his Ahsoka Tano is what I guess is what I'm trying to say. It feels like. Well, if it was him, it could have been Filoni. Yeah, true. Yeah. Behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely. Very much I so. I mean, you know, you put, I put Din Djarin up there as well. And Grogu. Ah, yes, so. that's right. Grogu, baby Grogu. That's right. <laughs> but Filoni was involved in Mandalorian. So that's what I'm trying to say. Is Favreau 
the one doing because he's the one listed here with Robert Rodriguez. So it's were they the ones who created this character? I just want or in through um her being, I don't know. I'm just trying yeah. to throw it out there and see. Uh, anyway, all right, let's move on to the rest of the sequence here. We, as we said, as you said, they're walking together, heading toward Garza Whip's place. That's Jennifer Beals's character. Sanctuary is the name, or the sanctuary is the name of essentially the establishment there. We see that Max Rebo is still doing his thing uh, <laughs> uh, with one of the, and, and he's put together this like duo of a super band because he's got the, is it the Brinth? Is that the name of the, of the, Biff. the Bith, sorry, the Bith there, yeah. who looks like homie from the first, uh, from a new yeah. hope. And they're doing a mariachi version or a Mexican version, in my opinion, of that song from the first Star Wars, from A New Hope. So really, including a guitar solo, which was awesome to see so well. And Max, Max Rebo doesn't play on barges anymore after that yeah. last gig. <laughs> Someone was mentioning how the hell he got off the barge. Did he have jets on that piano thing or that organ thing or what? A, Who knows? a musician survives. <laughs> He's like, oh, rolling out of here, man. Uh, but anyway, they get to Garza Whip's place and she, uh, two uh, Twilix show up first and offer to take their helmets. Uh, uh, Fennec Shan says no and suspiciously says no, of course, but uh, Boba says no, no, take them. And they move on and then there's a, a, a droid there who is uh, handing out drinks and then eventually Garza Whip walks up, the great Jennifer Beals. And let me take a moment here to say something. All these people, the main people in this scene, are all almost 60 years old, all right? So shout out to Star Wars going with Tamora Morrison, Ming-Na Wen, and Jennifer Beals, and them looking incredible in these roles and being able to, and also two of those people being people of color. I think it's a fantastic sequence to have this kind of back and forth. And as I mentioned earlier, she Jennifer Beals is fantastic here, slides right into the role, very comfortable, has that little stroke, of uh, of uh, Boba Fett's arm there, showing that she's the one in power, kind of like Boba did to Fennec with the touch on the chin there uh, earlier in another uh, in series. So it's just interesting to see this dynamic here, and eventually they come back with the helmet, and it's full of uh, rebel coins or coins from the rebellion. They're clearly in charge now. Uh, new, Repu- new Republic, New, new Republic, Republic fine, New Republic. Uh, and then they walk, and she says, "You know, oh, you can come here anytime. This is your establishment." He's he's essentially telling her, like. I'm the new guy in charge. Let's do this thing. And I didn't get carried. I walk on my own two feet. He thinks it's a source of pride. She kind of smirks at it, as Laura mentioned, uh, because there's another way that other people have been doing it. They go out as they're leaving. They're having this conversation about it. And then all of a sudden, they're attacked by these guards who are using shields and these electric batons. They eventually are subdued by the the fact that, we didn't even mention this, that Boba had kind of pardoned these Gamorrean guards during that tribute scene, and they had pledged their loyalty to Boba and the Gamorrean guards come in at this point when it looks like Boba and Fennec are in some real trouble and uh, uh, kind of tip the odds, tip the scale the other way. Uh, and they eventually get out of the situation. Three of these guys escape. Boba absolutely vaporizes one of them and then tells Fennec, keep one alive. Fennec eventually kind of jumping all the rooftops, kind of like we saw in, in uh, Bad Batch. She eventually corners the two, realizes she only needs one of these guys alive, kicks one over the roof. And then subdues the other one. Then we go back to Boba in the back of the tank with the Gamorians, uh, Gamorian guards putting him in there. So, Laura, what did you think about this second part of this sequence here? The fight, the action, the uh, the back and forth with them, and then eventually uh, uh, Fennec Shan subduing or Fennec Shan kicking that one guy off the roof and keeping one alive. I want to go back to the cantina because yeah, I can please. do a whole episode up in there where we just go around to the different pockets of people. I mean, we saw like the RX series droid yeah. uh, yes, running some true. sort of gambling game or something in the corner. Um, it, everything was just 
beautiful to look at and so intriguing. And yes, the return of Max Rebo. I think it was, yeah, that was always kind of the question mark, right? As like, did he survive the explosion in the desert or no? And I'm happy to see that he's there. And I do think that, yeah, figuring Dan, I think is yeah, who's Dan. playing the clue horn up there with them. So that's kind of fun. <laughs> a little mashup from uh, Return of the Jedi and A New Hope happening in that scene. So I enjoyed it. I mean, I'm, I remember, you know, thinking when we were seeing the trailer that Je this Jennifer Beals character clearly is going to be somebody in the show because the camera yeah. just lingers on her mm -hmm. in this great way in the trailer. So I, I'm really intrigued to see where we go with her. Um, as far as the the ninjas go, that was ninjas and parkour and on Tatooine was fun to see a little bit, though, with the like first part of that fight sequence, like some of the fight choreography like wasn't quite nailed down and i don't ever notice that kind of stuff when i watch anything and the fact that i noticed it here i'm like it just like needed like mm -hmm. a couple more rehearsals or something it just wasn't nailed down yet um but overall i thought it was really i thought it was fun and i thought it was really funny that yeah he gets to vaporize people but do as i say and not as i do keep one alive please. <laughs> shannon you've been itching to talk about this fight sequence so uh talk to us about what you felt about how the cantina sequence went with garza flip jennifer beals's character and then and, and then eventually the battle here that ensues with them uh out in the essentially the corner the um main area main street area and then out onto the roofs what did you think about this whole thing i love how they set it up like mm -hmm. i thought it was set like you have you have just this obsequious nature of these two twi'leks oh, apologies apologies mm -hmm. uh it's just it's just a lot of fun to watch and i thought it was interesting um with boba's sort of uh, uh newfound uh like uh, honor amongst thieves i guess yeah. where fennec doesn't want to give her helmet over he's like oh it's fine and i'm like wow you Back in the Mandalorian, like you were really itching to get that armor back. I think you you gave you gave away your helmet very easily, which I thought was strange. Um, but then I thought it was cool that it's filled with money, which I honestly don't think he anticipated. Yeah. And I started to wonder, oh, was this by design? Because if you fill his helmet with money, that means he doesn't have his helmet on, and that right. means he's more vulnerable. Um, so I thought that was all really really cool. I, again, I agree with you, John. Like Jennifer Beals, like that she's going to be a fun character to watch because yeah. you get the sense that she's going to play a pretty big role going forward. The, the fact that the one that the major domo said that, you know, there's going to be another delegation. Yeah. Like obviously these guys <laughs> coming to rough them up, that's the delegation. But I mean, right. I agree with Laura, like the, again, this it was just a very static scene. It wasn't that interesting to watch. Okay. Um, and I did like that the Gamorians were the ones who came in and saved them. And it, it kind of, it, it did, it did, conclude satisfyingly when Boba's vaporized the one dude but then getting into that chase sequence was really again I, I said it already very underwhelming for me I'm like there's so many cooler ways that you could have done this um I don't think those guys needed to do the star core I thought it would have been cooler if only Fennec was doing it like make it like really illustrate how what a badass she is I mean yes mm -hmm. she catches up but it's like, nah, I think you need more. You need more. The coolest part was when one of them throws the knife and she does that backflip. Yeah. I was like, that yeah. was a great moment. Super, super cool. And you see that she knocks one over. She doesn't need the other guy. And what did they talk about? That's going to, you know, like, yeah. what did what did she say? Because she didn't, you know, we haven't seen her bring him back to Fett yet. Right. So overall, I think, you know, and we talked about this with Hawkeye. The action in that first episode 
very underwhelming. Mm-hmm. And it got progressively better and better and better and better. And so that's my hope here, because if that's the action going forward, I'm like, eh, it's just a little uninspired. And yeah. Boba Fett's first appearance in The Mandalorian, Robert Rodriguez directed that, and it was awesome. Right. So the hope is that it will just build and get better and better and better. Yeah, Mike, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, what do you think of the cantina scene? And do you also agree with uh, Shannon and, and Laura here that the action sequence, so the fight sequence, wasn't as exciting as you wanted to see? And certainly they were just about, they were just subduing them. They weren't necessarily going into a full-on, you know, let's show our skills as fighters. They were just trying to subdue them, subdue them with those shields that I think are from Phantom Menace, the same kind of technology they used to stop any kind of, uh, thing there so and then eventually the fight did you want to see more of her using her ingenuity and troubleshooting the situation to get out ahead of these two assassins yeah i, I definitely agree i think that okay. out of the two scenes here the sanction the the scene in sanctuary is filled with subtext and interesting yeah. stuff and easter eggs and aliens in the background and like you could just talk about it for hours and then you're like yeah there was a fight it, it made sense. It made sense story-wise. I agree with Shannon. It probably is the delegation that the major domo was talking oh, about. Yeah. Fennec Shand is really capable. He disintegrated somebody, but nothing really was surprising or interesting. Like mm-hmm. everything that happened makes sense. Like mm-hmm. fight these guys. She goes after them. Gamorians show up and help him. All good stuff. Could it have been done more interesting? For sure. Whereas the scene inside in Sanctuary. First of all, I think Sanctuary is super cool. It looks yeah. like. It's definitely a step up from the Maz Eisley Cantina. Um, <laughs> not quite Canto Bite levels, but it definitely looks like a nicer establishment for Tatooine. And uh, Jennifer Beals as uh, as Garza Thwip, like I do think, like she does this. She and the Major Domo, like Shannon said, are both doing this thing of like what they are saying. Yeah, sounds respectful, right. but <laughs> everything that their body language and facial expressions are doing yeah. says fuck you like you you don't know how this works and we are going to continue to do things our way and you're not going to force us to do anything in any kind of different way and seeing where that push and pull of that dynamic goes i think is going to be really really fun um the only other thing i'll say about the action not not the action in the action sequence but what i appreciate about um the energy shields that you were talking about Mm -hmm. is i really love and mandalorian did this a lot too and they're continuing this on in these shows are integrating visually technologically uh the worlds of the prequels and the worlds Mm -hmm. of the original trilogy like obviously the original trilogy was the original trilogy and it had amazing effects for its time that still hold up surprisingly well today Mm -hmm. but with the prequels they introduced all of this new technology given what we could do with cg that didn't exist in the original trilogy and there was always sort of that i think george lucas was like well these are more core worlds they have more stuff and you're like (laughs) okay that makes sense but sure like and so it's really kind of fun to see in this kind of post uh jedi world characters like pit droids uh energy shields all of these things popping up because it's really feeling like an integrated version of all six movies and the technology and the worlds and the aliens that we've seen in all of them yeah yeah absolutely yeah i really enjoyed the stuff in there in the uh, in the sanctuary i mean like like i said this is great to see jennifer you don't cast jennifer beals and put her in a toss away role just like uh um, you know homie from uh, um Cobb Vanth, like that, you don't cast him and not bring him back in some way. So uh, this will be great to see what more Jennifer is going to play out. And she essentially is probably going to fill that role of that character, of a person who runs these multiple different 
uh, cantinas that are around in the area. So I like that she's going to get a prominent uh, focus here of the show. I see her complaints about the fighting. I, I don't know. I guess I guess it didn't bother me, uh, to be honest with you. They were subduing him, so I didn't expect like ninja-level fighting or anything like that. Um, when, I would have liked to have seen more, though. I do agree with you. It did strike me how quickly she was able to catch up. I was like, how the hell did she do that? I would have liked to have seen how she troubleshooted and got ahead of him. That's always fun to see. So who knows why they left that out. But uh, great to see Fennec Shen. And she, take, she takes initiative here, her own initiative, by kicking that guy over the roof. She could have kept them both alive, but you kick the one guy over the roof, uh, maybe to strike the fear into the other guy, but also that's her deciding who lives and who dies. So there's a certain element of that where I think it's going to come into play, obviously, between her and uh, and Boba, which I really enjoyed. And and uh, shout out to David Pesquesi, who is the uh, major domo. I, I loved him in that sequence. I mean, you know, you know him in Veep. He's uh, Selena's uh, Selena's ex-husband. He's so great playing that Veep. So to see him in this role is just—I mean, it's just an easy slide. It's—it's it's not a stretch for him to slide into this role where he's saying one thing but really meaning another. So great to see uh, that element here. So, um, all right. So let's let's go around the horn here. Anything else that you all want to kind of highlight or talk about or make sure we stress here before we wrap up this spoiler review? This was a pretty straightforward episode. Um, Laura, any, let's go to you on this one. Anything you want to make sure we touch on highlight or any Easter egg or any favorite uh, scene from the, uh, from the uh, first episode here? I don't, you know, I think the only thing I wanted to touch on was that we sort of, I think we kind of set up in the first episode of the Mandalorian where the Robert Rodriguez episode of the Mandalorian yeah. uh, where, where Boba Fett comes back. I think we were kind of setting up this character that we were going to get. And I think that this show may have actually been better served if it had been, if it had premiered closer to the right. end of the last episode of uh, season two of the Mandalorian. Okay. Um, just because, yeah, I mean, these complaints that we're seeing from people that are like, yeah, he needs to be like colder, darker, more bloodthirsty that wasn't what we got at the end of right. season True. two. Like, and that was, they set that up very clearly. And I think people just forgot. So okay. <laughs> that, that may have helped. Um, but overall, I'm, I'm just going to stay open-minded with this show. First episode wasn't a slam dunk for me. I enjoyed it. I was satisfied. Um, if I wasn't, you know, a star Wars fan already and therefore contractually obligated to watch this show, mm -hmm. I'm not sure certain I would stay with it. Whereas like with you bring a character like baby Yoda in, people who aren't even Star Wars fans were watching that That's show. True. So it's it's not going to be one of those. Right. Um, and, and I accept that. And I think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to follow the sort of monster of the week rhythm that the Mandalorian got. It's hard to not compare it to the Mandalorian, but mm. I'm, I'm looking forward to the show sort of setting its own, blazing its own trail here. Um, yep. And I didn't get a ton of that in the first episode, but I anticipate that we'll get more of it as the season goes on. Right on. Shannon, uh, anything you want to highlight or stress or any final thoughts on this episode? Well, I mean, you pointed out already, but Ludwig Gorenson's score yes. is fantastic. I mean, there he's expanding Incredible. on that theme that he developed for Boba Fett in Mandalorian Season 2. Mm -hmm. And even in the credits, um, the, the vocals that he added, I mean, just really it's it just great. It just hits you. In, it hits you in the heart. The yeah. the music. It's just really, really inspiring music. Um, you know, uh, to, to what uh, and, I and, mean, and Joseph Shirley, real quick, just to get both of them are credited. They did some uh, yeah. music. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, Sorry. Good. But uh, uh, the I'm hoping that this sh this series is a lot more serialized than what the Mandalorian mm -hmm. was in the first season. How it was sort of like Monster of the Week. Like right. you know, we did get to that did get to that that big arc but 
it, it took a second. And the way that the world is being presented to us now, it's very clear that we are, he's going to be in the back to tank. That's an organic entry into these flashbacks to see how he became who he is and the story that's being told like kind of in modern day where he gets to apply the new person mm -hmm. that he is. So I'm right. hoping that, that it will be much more serialized, that we will get more of those kind of underworld crime boss vibes. Um, but yeah, it just, it, it, I don't, it was not a home run, but okay. because it's a star Wars show, I'm of course, I'm going to be on for the rest of it. <laughs> yeah. Michael, any final thoughts? What stood out for you? And do, there are some people who have said that they should have dropped the first two episodes together. Do you agree with that? I mean, look, we all, we always want more. Yeah, sure. uh, it's always <laughs> great to get the first two episodes of something to really get a sense of stuff. Um, I don't, I don't mind the way, I mean, we talk about this a lot, like, mm. you know, the pacing of shows and everything. And like, I, like, I agree with everybody. I think we're all kind of on the same page. Like this didn't have the holy shit. I can't believe it of, uh, getting to the end and like, Oh, it's a baby Yoda. Um, but I think everything that was there was good. Like there was nothing here that I was like, Oh, that doesn't make sense. That's bad. I'm interested. I think to Shannon's point, it's, Based on what we saw, I think it absolutely almost has to be more serialized. Like we ended the first episode with in the in the current storyline, Fennec has a guy, they need to ask him questions. And in the Tuscan Raider storyline, he has now got water. They like mm -hmm. him now. What's gonna happen next? So even in the way that the show ended, it's leaning towards being more serialized. And uh, to Laura's point, I think we're going to see the mayor soon. So mm -hmm. I think we're going to kind of dive into more of what we're all sort of seemingly more interested in, which is how, what are the ins and outs of how crime works? <laughs> like, yeah. And I think, you know, like, I think Jennifer Beals just, even in just a little bit that we saw her, I think her perspective is, hey, I worked for Jabba. I worked for Bib Fortuna. I work for you. Yeah. I don't really give a shit. I'm gonna. Con I'm. I'm the one who's still here, and I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing. And I think seeing her, the mayor, whatever, and again, wherever we go, I think that's gonna be the most interesting part of the show. So I agree that I hope they lean into that the most. Yeah, I agree. That's that's where I want it to go. And Laura mentioned earlier. I think like cl they climbed up into my head. Yes, absolutely. This this struck all. This checked all the boxes for me. I couldn't have been happier for a first episode to start this process. This is what I've been wanting. Street level Star Wars. I don't need to go into space. I don't need you to fire up a damn live set. Don't hold, don't force joke anybody. There are real people existing on the ground level, kind of like we saw a little bit clumsily done with the sisters in the Clone Wars, where there are people down here while you're off talking your philosophy and, and doing all that crap. We're down here trying to survive because of y'all's uh, ideas or philosophy. So I love that they've got that. And I wonder if there are elements of Lucas's underworld stuff in here, if there are scripts that maybe Filoni had access to, maybe George kind of on the side, kind of slid him the 60 scripts and let him look through and see what works for him. <laughs> I don't know. I, I would be curious to see if there's some of that. And I saw someone else here, and this is what I like about the Star Wars the show that kind of gives you a little bit to kind of chew on as a fan. Some people are speculating that the Tuscan leader bears a resemblance to Asharad Het, who ends up becoming Darth Krait. So is that something they're throwing now uh, into the mix here? So I like that there's speculation to come out of the first episode that keeps you going as a Star Wars fan to chew on and see where they go with this. So yeah, I don't need a Baby Yoda. It was nice to get a Mandalorian, but they, if they had done a Baby Yoda, people would be bitching the series out for trying to repeat the same stuff Mandalorian did. So let it walk its own path. This is what we were promised when these when these uh, Star Wars stories were pitched. 
separate paths, directors coming in to give their voice to Star Wars. And I like that we're getting this voice from Robert Rodriguez uh, as a Latino filmmaker coming in to give a different point of view, a different approach to this Star Wars. And I just, I like it. So Mike, Mike you were going to say one thing? No, 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 go ahead. Okay, okay. When you inhale, I, know, I feel like you're going to say something. So I just want to throw <laughs> that out there. So. Uh, but all right, well, uh, that's our spoiler review for episode one, Stranger in a Strange Land from the Book of Boba Fett, uh, Disney Plus and Lucasfilm. Excited to see we've got six more episodes to go. This is the crew that's going to take you through the next six episodes. So we hope you enjoyed this episode as we broke it all down for you. Shannon, what do we have to tell them? Yeah, I'd like to follow us on social media. On Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies. On Instagram, at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media and my dirty ass mouth talking about Ray Harryhausen, <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at Shannon underscore McClung. On Instagram, at Shannon the Geek Buddy. So I didn't make out with anybody with COVID. If you'd oh, like to follow whoa, Mr. Vogel, whoa. it is at MK2. If you'd like to follow around. Mr. Roca, it is at the Roca Says. Uh, Michael Vogel, uh, what do we have to tell him as well? Well, we can tell everybody that maybe I did make out with somebody who ended up having COVID, but I came out scot-free and I'm negative and good to go. So who has the amazing immune system? Thank you, Carbon Health. Boom. Uh, (laughs) um, uh, Yes. As, as, uh, as Johnny, everybody said, look, we're really excited to take you through these next seven episodes. We're really excited to do all the stuff uh, that we get to do on Geek Buddies. And you don't have to give us a tribute you just have to do a couple favors for us. Uh, you can hit that like button below. You can subscribe to John's Outlaw Nation page. Check out all the amazing content he's got. Leave your comments below. What did you think of this episode? Were you disappointed? Were you excited? Did you like the action? Did you like the Harryhausen alien? Let us know your thoughts. Let us know where you think things are going to go. Um, if you are listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are available, take a second to leave us some stars, leave us some comments. It helps us go up in the rankings. And as always, please go ahead and retweet this video, post it on your socials, and tell everybody to check out the Geek Buddies uh, because we have a good time talking to you, and we hope we can talk to some more buddies soon. Absolutely. Yeah, please don't forget, subscribe down below, as Mike said. We crossed that 20,000 mark, which I'm really proud of, and now let's see how many we can get as we walk into 2022 here if you're a first-time watcher or listener to what we do here on the Outlaw Nation and certainly on the Geek Buddies and, of course, with our special guests that we get to bring on who are very kind to take the time and we are blessed to hear from. And that's the one of those guests is the awesome Laura Kelly. Laura, thanks again for joining us today. And please tell everybody who's watching and listening where they can find you. Well, first, I'm going to stay on the COVID train. I did not make out with anybody who had COVID <laughs> And yet I tested positive like four days ago. So yay. <laughs> I don't know how any of this works. There's no rhyme or rhythm to it, but it really, it really is insane. It's really completely insane. Yeah. She None was in a bar sense. in Kansas City. Who knows what happened? Anyway, so right? yeah. I know. I'm like, I can't be responsible for this. But if you want to follow me on Twitter, I am at shut up underscore Laura. The show that I host with my friend Alice is called Force Toast Pod, where we talk about Star Wars. And we've got new episodes coming out every couple of weeks on Tuesdays. There you go. All right. Well, thanks everybody for watching and we'll talk to you next time with another brand new spoiler review episode from the book of Boba Fett here from the geek buddies.
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.